Great rejoicing marks the arrival of the Ark of God into the city of David, but David's public celebration draws criticism. A reading from the second book of Samuel. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David and all the people with him set out and went from Baal Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. They carried the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Aho, the son of Ab- sons of Abinadad, were driving the new cart with the Ark of God, and Aho went in front of the Ark. David and all the house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all their might, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obedium to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was girded with linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered offerings and offerings of well-being before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the offerings of well-being, He blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed food among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, to each a cake of bread, a portion of meat, a cake of raisins. And they then all the people went back to their homes. Hear what the Spirit is saying to God's people. Would you please stand to say Psalm 24? We will say it this morning. We will say it antiphonally, that side of the church beginning with the odd-numbered verses, this side of the church even-numbered verses, beginning over here. The earth is...
Paul tells the disciples in Ephesus that when they are when they respond to the gospel, they will know the power of the Holy Spirit. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world to to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasures of his will, to the praises of of his glorious grace that he freely freely bestowed on us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure set forth in Christ as a plan of the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might Live for the praise of his glory. In in him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised, with the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of your inheritance towards redemption as God's own people, to to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. King Herod heard of Jesus and his disciples, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah, and others said, it is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has, had, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests, and the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. 
The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for his guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. You may be seated. It's one thing to read that story liturgically. It's quite another thing to imagine it being played out. It's really quite a gruesome story um, and bizarre. It plunks down right in the middle of Mark's gospel. Um, Last week we heard the story of Jesus sending out the twelve. He gave them power over unclean spirits. They go out, they preach repentance, they heal some people, cast out unclean spirits. And then Herod hears of it. And next week we'll continue the story. The, The disciples will come back and they will tell Jesus everything that they have done. It's like this story interrupts that other story. Mark does that a bunch of times. He puts one story in the middle of another. And the two stories are supposed to interpret one another. That's just really strange. I'm not quite sure at all how this fits together. Um, Part of it, I think, is a little bit of foreshadowing. He's saying if Jesus continues on the path that he's on, um, preaching the things that he's preaching, he can expect the same kind of thing that Herod did to John the Baptist. Another point of the story, I think, is to show the utter depravity of Herod's household. He's married his niece... Um, who was married to his brother. He left his own wife, um, had, had Herodias divorced Philip, and then married Herodias. So Herodias's daughter, his daughter by Herodias, is his grandniece, and no one danced at, at a feast except for a courtesan, politely called, um, a slave girl. And so he has his daughter and grandniece dance at a banquet. The people who would be reading this story would just be saying, what what an utter jerk, what an utterly depraved guy. And then the two stories are somehow supposed to interpret one another. So imagine Jesus sending out the twelve. He says, you have power over unclean spirits. Take a staff, but no bread, no bag, not an extra shirt, one pair of sandals. Whatever house you enter accept their hospitality, heal the sick, and and then go on. And if they won't accept you, shake the dust off your feet as you go. Imagine the conversation. You know, Herod has just taxed Galilee almost into non-existence for his lavish building projects. And so people are kind of poor. And you see a couple of folks showing up towards the evening in the village And the villagers are probably all thinking, oh, please don't stop here. Um, The rule was if you stopped, if they stopped, you had to give them hospitality. They're probably thinking, please go on to the next village. We don't want to have to feed you. Nope, they stop here. Could we have a meal? Okay, so grudgingly a meal is brought out. And then they begin to ask, so how are things around here? What's going on in your village? Well, maybe there's a boy with epilepsy. Or maybe there's a woman who's taken to drink because her husband has lost his job, he's been taxed off his farm. Maybe there's a man who's depressed because he can no longer farm and he's doing day jobs. And they say, okay, bring him here. Bring him to the meal. 
lay hands on them, heal them, relationship is restored, community is built. They talk about the kingdom and they say, the kingdom is here with you. Now, contrast that to this story, and that, I think, is the point, the contrast. Here's this lavish party, depraved, um, Herodias dancing like a common courtesan. Mark is saying, where do you think the kingdom is? Is the kingdom with Herod, or is the kingdom with Jesus and his disciples out there on the edge? Pulling that community back together. We also have that story of David. If we were ever going to do liturgical dance on a Sunday, this would be the Sunday to do it, right? Herodias dancing and David dancing. David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which is a northern, belongs to the northern kingdom. He's bringing it to his own city. He's a southerner from the tribe of Benjamin. Judah and Israel don't really get along very well. Um, We have this image of them being a single kingdom, but they were at war before David, and after Solomon's death, they were at war again. So he's bringing those, or trying to bring those two kingdoms together. So he takes Israel's um, talisman, Israel's where God is present for Israel, and brings it to his city, but he wants to do it in a way that brings the northern kingdom in. So he throws a party. 30,000 of the chosen men of Israel join him, He brings the ark up from the house where it is up to Jerusalem, and every six steps slaughters an ox and a fatling. That's a big party. That's hundreds of animals. Lots and lots of people are going to eat. And he dances in front of the ark. We're told a few verses on that Michael despises him. He asks her in the part that we don't read, why why do you despise me? And she says, there you were dancing flipping your skirts around so that all of the slave girls of Israel could see your nakedness. And we're told that David, that Michael never had children um, because, because she had displeased God. The reason she never had children is that she was Saul's daughter and David wasn't about to give Saul any children um, to take the kingdom over from him. But then it says that David distributed food to all of these people And the phrase that really caught me by surprise is he distributes a cake, meat, and a cake of raisins to all of the people, men and women. In a big sacrifice like that, women always got meat through their men. If they were still at home, they got meat through their father. If they were married, they got meat through their husband. David is essentially marrying all of the women of Israel. He is saying, in my person, Now, the two kingdoms are united. Next week in Ephesians, we're going to read how Jesus unites Jew and Gentile in his body. Um, We're starting that passage in Ephesians, where God has adopted us through Jesus. The kingdom held, those two kingdoms held together for the 33 years that David was on the throne, and then another 50 while Solomon was on the throne, and then fell apart. That's the point of that story. Look at how those two things came together, and... The author of Ephesians will tell us that in Jesus' blood, Jew and Gentile have come together. So Mark is asking us to compare Herod's kingdom to what the disciples are doing. And David is saying we're bringing the two kingdoms together in one person. Ephesians saying bringing Jew and Gentile together in the person of Jesus. I've been asking us to do hands-on, face-to-face ministry once a month. 
Why? What's the point of that? Jesus sends out the disciples and says, Heal the sick. Cast out the demons. Whatever is dislocated, try and put it back together. Bring people together at the table. And then tell them this is the kingdom. Not what's going on over there in Herod's court, but here around this simple table, a meal that people might rather not have served anyway. It's uncomfortable for us to get out there beyond where our, our usual places of being are, to go out to Ronald McDonald House or to the piecemeal or wherever it is that we're going, the, the birthday party. But when we encounter those people and see that they are like us, where is the kingdom? The kingdom is there, not in the halls of power, but there. Next week I'm going to talk about in the scroll, I talked about the five questions that I'm going to ask us to think about. When Jesus' apostles come back after what they've done, it says Jesus took them away to a quiet place and they told him everything that they had done. So these two things, getting out there and doing these actions, actions of ministry and coming back and reflecting on what we've done, that's where the kingdom is, not with Herod, and not even with David, but in the simple things that we do to establish community. Amen.